I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Well, this is going to be really delightful uh, because we are sitting with uh, our longtime patron, and I feel like long, I, I should—I feel comfortable enough saying longtime friend, Absolutely. Melanie West. Um, Mel, you—you uh, are in Salem, um, uh, and and you've been a patron with us for a long time, and and we've been we've been spending a lot of times, uh, pretty much every single Patreon hangout. You're there, hanging out with us, um, and. Uh, and actually, not long ago, Brian, uh, I believe you were traveling through the United States, and you—that was a few years ago now. But it was, yeah, not that long, I guess, in, in terms of like my lifetime. Like when right. I think of yes. like, <laughs> but like, and the way that ago, time yeah. has changed since the pandemic. But began. you, uh, a couple of years ago, you you made a pit stop in Salem to hang out with Mel and meet Mel. Yeah, IRL. Yeah, yes. sweet. Awesome. And uh, and now it's. I feel like it's it's been such a long time coming, but you're on the show with us today because. Um, Mel, you are, you're, I mean, I say on the Hangouts that you're a doctor. You would say otherwise, but really, you're, you're, you're as, you're as, uh, you're, you're, you're better than a doctor, really, I think. I, you, you pretty much know everything all the time. It's wild. Um, so, I, I mean, I, I'm turning to you not only for the medical talk, but like, you know, investing, um, uh, <laughs> Just like general, like life coaching, botany. Yeah. Literally, right before uh, uh, we so started recording, we were asking you why my dog's hair uh, grows long, but yeah. a short-haired dog's hair doesn't. And you gave almost certainly the right answer, which was genetics. <laughs> and you said it so quickly, like you just didn't even have to think about it. So, Mel, uh, uh, first of all, introduce yourself to everyone who is not our patron, and uh, give us some insight into what you actually do for a living. Sure. So my name is Melanie. I'm a pediatric nurse practitioner. Um, so that means that I first and foremost, am a nurse. Um, and then after nursing school, I went and got an advanced degree um, that allows me to be able to make medical diagnoses and treat um, kids for all their kind of routine illnesses, their physicals, um, and then send them off to specialists when needed. Yeah. So nurse practitioner, I, I, um, my, uh, experience with nurse, nurse practitioners, uh, specifically kind of has to do with the, my, my time spent at the CF clinic here in Halifax and, uh, the nurse practitioner at the clinic that I go to, whose name is Sarah, she's incredible. She's such an incredible, um, uh, element to that piece of healthcare that I receive. And I'm I'm so grateful for her. And before her was a woman named Fran, and Fran was doing it for years and years and years. 
And I don't actually, I, I've never actually thought about this. I don't know the difference between what a, what a, a nurse at like a, like an RN, um, versus a, a, um, a, an NP. I, I, I don't know the difference between the two, but, but when I think about the difference, I think of like, there's, um, this is going to sound so silly, but like when I think of, uh, Sarah, my nurse practitioner, there's like a maternal sort of, <laughs> sort of sense there. Like, like, yeah, that's a prerequisite. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whereas like most of the other nurses that I've had in, you know, I'm, I, I have like pneumonia, I'm staying in the hospital. There's, there's a, there's a very, like, there's a, there's a, a lot of care there, but there's something about, like, I feel like Sarah's like, a, my, the, she's the mom of the clinic. If we're, if we're speculating, I like, uh, <laughs> which we are, <laughs> uh, my feeling is that like, I've always thought of like a nurse practitioner is like a nurse who decided like, basically I want to be a doctor. And I can be this thing that's a nurse practitioner, which is effectively like a doctor, but I don't really understand the difference between two of them. But I like to me, it's just like an right. RN who's like, I yeah, I want to go and get more education because I want to expand the scope of what I can offer. That and was so basically well said, become Ryan. a doctor. So I guess I guess the question, the long question, the Jesus, very long is question is, uh, what's the difference between RN and and um, NP and, and MD and MD? Sure. So an RN generally has either a two to four year degree um, and they pretty much work in conjunction with NPs and MDs providing direct care to patients. Um, so if you go into the hospital, the RN is usually the one who's administering your medications or starting your IV. Um, in clinics, they'll be the ones doing triage, giving um, advice, giving you your vaccines, uh, putting on your splints or what have you. Um, an NP takes that a step further. Um, so as an NP, and I will say that this kind of changes based on where you are, but in my state of Massachusetts, um, I can make medical diagnoses, I can prescribe medication, I can order lab tests and x-rays, um, and pretty much do anything that a kid will need for primary care. Um, so if you visit your family doctor, whatever they're doing, I'll do for a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Like we have, we have, uh, at my, at my family clinic, we have like when you call to make an appointment, it runs through like, you know dial one to, for these doctors, dial two for these doctors. And then, and then interspersed in that directory is so, uh, you know, dial, you know, whatever number to see nurse practitioner so-and-so. And like the way that that is presented is that, that, that nurse practitioner is there, you know, m m I guess performing like a very similar duties to the, to the, to the, uh, to what the family doctor, uh, family doctors in the clinic are, are doing. Like they're seeing, they're seeing patients and, and, and diagnosing and everything. I think it's, I think it's very similar in, in how that works here in what, Nova Scotia. What's the difference between like the scope of practice for a nurse practitioner and a, and a medical doctor? So in my state, there isn't a huge difference in scope of practice. <clears throat> it's shots most, fired, it, shots fired. Oh <laughs> shit. Yo, no, you no. listen to docs. Holy fuck. <laughs> yo, <laughs> yo, it gets very <laughs> controversial very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> so like here in Massachusetts a nurse practitioner can work independently after 2000 hours of practice under supervision of supervision of an MD. 
Okay. So I have independent practice here. Um, I work in a community health center where we have NPs and MDs, um, and we both work very similarly. Hmm. Is there a, I don't know, you don't have to answer this question and maybe this is a dumb question, but I feel, I feel <laughs> compelled to ask it, which is it, like, is there stigma or any sort of tension between those two roles in um, like an office setting like that? In, I've been lucky in that the past couple of jobs that I've had, there has been no tension. Mm-hmm. We work very well together. It's um, I've never really felt demeaned or anything like that. Mm-hmm. If you go online, you will see an entirely different thing. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah that sounds like a metaphor for, for everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in practice, I haven't really had an issue. That's cool. good. That's good. And what, what, and what brought you, what was the, um, what was like the inspiration or what drew you to, to wanting to, uh, take your, take your education and your knowledge and put that towards, um, pediatrics and working with kids. So I've known ever since I was a kid that I wanted to work with kids. Um, and then when I was in college, I, I started college as pre-med and then didn't enjoy that one bit. So I switched to psychology. But as it came time for me to graduate, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. So I thought I still wanted to do something in medicine and I really um, was interested in education. And nursing is the perfect way to combine those two roles because a huge component of what nurses do is educate patients. Um, So my aunt was a nurse practitioner um, and I spoke with her and it just sounded like the perfect fit. When, when you think about like, <clears throat> we had this conversation uh, uh, with somebody just the other day on the podcast, um, which was, and something that, you know, I know that, that, you know, as a, as a, a longtime listener of the podcast, that we talk a lot about the, uh, the shortcomings of mm. physicians in the, in the uh, personal approach that they have and is oftentimes a result of the training that they receive in school in terms of, you know, a lack of, um, a lack of, of, of seeing people for people and more of a tendency of seeing people as diseases and things, you know, problems to solve and things like that. And that, that there's a humanity that's lost there. Um, is, I'm trying, I'm trying to like phrase this question and like, is there, is there just like a fundamental human aspect to nursing, like the education in nursing that is just just not present in in medical like med school? So the foundation of a nursing education is people first or human first. So once you start nursing school, you don't go in and you start learning about different diseases. And I, you know, I've never been to medical school, so I don't know exactly um, how they present things. But we learn first just about people and all the things that go into making people people. Mm-hmm. And I think that is one of the key differences between an NP and an MD is having that approach first. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I was more interested in being an NP. I had looked into going into like a, a post-grad pre-med program or something like that, but I really liked the approach that nursing takes in looking at people um, before we look at their disease. Yeah. I wonder if it's like, and this is just conjecture and for anybody to speculate on if you want to. Um, I wonder if like, 
if whether consciously or subconsciously, because, you know, we've heard a lot that like, you know, doctors just don't, that's just not part of their training, like that human element, or or it might be like, like, you know, one day of one year of med school or something like that Mm -hmm. instead of, instead of something substantial. But do you think that there's some aspect of going, well, they're taking care of that in nursing. So like we, like that's, that's what they're doing. So we'll just not like, we don't have to cause they're doing it. Yeah. Maybe, so maybe like, like subconsciously subconscious in the sense of like subconscious of the, the, oh, the field. Yeah. Like there's like a subconscious how, sense of like, all right, we like, we, we are the technicians in this lane. And then there's right. the technicians in this lane that handle that other thing that we don't have to be as focused on because there's, there's, yeah, that it, element. I, I, I it, mean, I fuck. I don't know, but it, it probably um, maybe depends on the specialization too. Because the person that we were speaking to was specifically a surgeon as well, and and they were um, when we were talking about this, and and they were mentioning that you know in surgery it's very much a like you the surgeon against the mm-hmm. disease or or whatever it is that you're going in there to operate on, and so there's less of a of like that sort of probably idea in their mind that there needs to be this care approach um, taken towards the person when they're doing that. And maybe because of that, then subconsciously it's like, well, the nurses will make them feel, you know, comforted in this situation or whatever it is. Possibly. I don't don't know. And maybe subconsciously I'm just trying to create tension (laughs) between two, two fields that are currently working reasonably well together. <laughs> Certain gang wars. Ultimately, we are a healthcare team. Yeah. So we all have our roles and we all have to work together in order to have the best outcome for a person. Yeah. Yeah, I mean Sue Robbins would say though that like yes, um it is a team but you know the individual the, the patient experience is very individualistic in terms of like dealing with each member of that team and you know if one person on the healthcare team is there to provide like the emotional care and support, but then nine of the other 10 team members aren't providing that same emotional care, then you're only getting 10% of that experience as one that it makes you feel like you're being emotionally cared for. So like Sue even says the, the, the care, the, the custodial staff in the hospital, if they smile at you and wave at you or ask you how you're doing when you're there, Mm -hmm. you know, just a smile then then that makes a massive difference so i think that's important to consider as well uh melanie i'd love to talk about the specific work that you do um uh i know that you work at a federally qualified health center what does that what does that mean so federally qualified health centers are community-based health centers that serve what we call underserved communities so these are typically um urban or rural communities um, that don't have access to a lot of services. Um, The people that come to us are generally um, new to the country. They can be refugees. um, They can be living below the poverty line. um, And our community health centers pretty much take care of the needs of these communities and whatever that might be, whether that be healthcare, whether that be social services, um, dental vision, whatever it might be. And, and like when specifically, like, I, I, I'm kind of curious about like a day in the life of Melanie at work, like you, you show up and, um, primarily you're working with, with children. Um, mm-hmm. and is it, is it sort of like, 
what you would see at a at a at a general um sort of family doctor clinic where you know someone might come in and they have a tickle in their throat and they're trying to figure out what's going on there and then somebody else is coming in to get a refill on the prescription for their diabetes medicine like what what is what is the sort of like general day for you yeah so generally my days well before covid since covid it's it's changed a little bit because you've had to split things up but generally i would see a good mix of physicals um so i will see generally newborns all the way through age about 21 um and so we'd have our physicals um, we'd have kids come in who do have chronic illnesses who need just kind of routine monitoring. So things like asthma um, and eczema are kind of like the big things that we see. Um, and then we will do acute sick visits. So like sore throats or um, I hurt my ankle or stuff like that. Right. Mm-hmm. And do you like, do you, again, I'm thinking about my relationship to a, a nurse practitioner, Sarah, in, 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 uh, to be specific, like I, I feel like over the years, I've, I'm, I continuously develop this relationship with Sarah that that uh, continues to grow. The more that I go to the clinic, and the more that we interact, and like, do you have that similar sense with some patients, considering mm-hmm. that you see them from like birth to to eventually seeing them off to college? Yeah, definitely. So that's the best thing about primary care is that I'll see a newborn and then. I'll see them all the way through as they grow up and watch them grow. Um, And that's what I, one of the things I love most about primary care. So I'll see them, I'll see their siblings, I'll get to know the family. And once you build that relationship, you can kind of anticipate needs and just really have a close relationship. And that's the greatest thing about primary care. Mm -hmm. When you're, this is something that came up from the other day when we were were talking about something uh, on an episode is, is the, like the way that kids present, like what are the unique challenges um, and, and maybe like maybe things that adults could, could learn from when, like when you are trying to figure out like what a kid needs, cause they obviously articulate themselves in very different, in very different ways. Um, yeah. you know, not the, their vocabulary isn't as big. And, and I don't mean that as like a, a you know, as like, you know, <laughs> Kids are, are dumb. kids are dumb. Like they can't, uh, I, like they, 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 yeah, they, they present themselves in very different ways. How, what are the challenges that, that, and like the way that you need to approach speaking with a child about what they're feeling and everything to get, to get what you need to do your job as best as you can. Yeah. So definitely like a newborn can't tell me that their tummy hurts, you know, right, so yeah. you have to kind of look at their behavior. So when we think about kids, we think about how are they sleeping? How are they eating? Um, are they gaining weight? Um, and those things can kind of tell you that something's not right with this kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're really looking at behavior. A lot of what I do is just watching a child. Mm-hmm. So like a two-year-old is terrified of me. And that's okay because that's developmentally appropriate for that to happen. So you have to get kind of creative about how to assess what's going on with them. So watching them run around the room, watching how they're using their arms and their legs, watching how they interact with their parent, all of those things are really important. Um, sometimes even more so than actually listening to their hearts or looking into their ears. Wow. It's a, uh, it makes me wonder if like how important looking at their uh, poop may be. Because like I think of that with uh, with my dog, important. like he can't talk to me, 
But like one thing I know is like his poop can if it, yeah it can, his butt quite, his butt can talk to you quite quite literally can. And when I notice like oh he's having diarrhea like am I overfeeding him? Am I feeding him the wrong food? Like mm-hmm. wh- what is going on? So I, it makes me wonder. Maybe that sounds dumb, but it, I get is that important? A lot of poop. Yeah, dude, actually, that's really funny. I'm swimming in shit, guys. <laughs> Can you tell a lot from uh, from like 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 a basic analysis of a stool, like a an observational analysis of stool sample? Unless there's something very wrong, like there's blood in there or something right, like right. that, then not necessarily. Or if like a kid's constipated, you know, yeah, but not. Not a ton. That's so funny because oh, I, I thought like I, color of poop is like pretty telling for a lot of things. Like it, like if if someone has well, like if someone has black poop, that's blood in your stool, like or that's blood in your in your in your internally. If if someone has green poop, that that could or like yellow. Uh, here's one yellow it's indicative like yellow things, sh- yellow shit or like oily shit <clears throat> means that like they're not breaking down fats. Stool, right? it's stool. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Stool, stool, stool. But not defend like you can. It just I guess observationally. Yeah, can, right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Might be able to say, oh, I should look into this more. Yeah. But yeah. is the poop going to make the diagnosis? Not, not yeah. necessarily. Right. And, and what? And what what are your what are the challenge like when a when a kid when a kid can can speak and can tell you what's wrong with them but they maybe you know they don't their their vocabulary is not you know super developed is there a is it is it harder or is it or is it in some ways easier because there's like a simplicity to the way that they describe how they feel yeah it can be both so you just start talking to the kid very basically. Um, And so it can be a really fun challenge to really kind of pinpoint um, what's going on with the kid, but it's also so much fun to just talk with them and kind of get into their world a little bit. Are you tired of hearing the same old wellness advice? It's time to dig deeper and listen to America Dissected from Crooked Media, the podcast that's cutting into the science, culture, and policy that shapes our health. From doctors fighting for their rights to the surprising truths about sunscreen, America Dissected dives deep into the state of health. Tune in every Tuesday for new episodes of America Dissected, available on all major podcast platforms. Yeah, because yeah. when I see the doctor, like I often, I often feel like I was at the emergency room last week, and I and uh, well, as I was going through triage, and then um, a nurse came and did an EKG on me, and then I saw an eMERGE doc, and I was like, "Am I just giving you way too much? <laughs> like, how much of what I said was at all necessary? <laughs> like, just because I feel like I can articulate the way that I feel very." well but that it's it's actually like 80 percent of it is garbage to them from a from like a diagnostic standpoint yeah well also you're bringing them in data too you've got like charts and stuff that you've been like tracking your like sleeping you just bring them your you just print off the latest whoop strap fucking data set Here, like, take a look at take a look at this. Tell me what you see. See this heart rate. See this heart rate. And also resting. This is resting. It, you do it because you don't even think it's valuable. You're just bragging. Just, You're just like, look how good these numbers are. That's yeah. what I do. I'm a, I just go to the emergency room, <laughs> emergency room to brag to emerge doctors. Mel, I want to I want to know about uh, about specifically like the way that you work with children and um, maybe maybe 
I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe this does tie into like your training, but um, uh, I have I have a sense that this is this is more so likely due to just your your practice as 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 who you are. And I know that one of the big things that you you focus on in in your practices. Um, is like building resilience in children. Um, can you can you kind of break down how how do you go about doing that as a nurse practitioner? How do you how do you build resilience in a child, um, especially when that child isn't like your own or a child that you see um, like on a you know like on a weekly basis? Right. So the kids that I work with, a lot of them have gone through just really what we call adverse um, childhood events or ACEs. Um, so they've seen trauma. Some of them have come through immigration and been separated from parents. Um, a lot of emotional issues or behavioral issues. And so trying to optimize the care that these kids are getting so that they have the best future is really important to me. Mm. Um, and one of the ways to go about doing that is just trying to be as consistent and steady and as a good a role model as possible for these kids. Um, and then also working with the families. So I see their kids, but the kids are always part of a family um, and part of a community. So working with the larger family, the larger community to get them the resources that they need so that this child's life can be better. Mm-hmm. What and what are the? This is this is maybe this maybe this is questions a little bit better placed later in the conversation. But when, I mean, working in the medical system and the things that you have to the things that you have to, um, what like diagnose with people challenges that they have like it's a hard it's a hard job, like by any measure, um, from like an emotional standpoint, like when how. How do, and maybe I'm maybe I'm kind of answering my own question in the way that, um, the podcast that like talking with people, people might assume that it's really sad, like it's really hard to have conversations with people who are sick all the time, like that it's that'd be kind of a bummer, but it's really like not that at all. It's actually very uplifting. Like, do you find like what do you find? Like, is there an emotional challenge to working in com- in communities that are that are like seeing so much hardship mm. all the time, and you know, dealing and working with people that are you know have been through probably more um, you know more than the average person would ever you know would ever hope to go through? Yeah, for sure. So some days can just really take a toll on you, um, especially during the pandemic things got a lot more challenging because, you know, early in the pandemic, kids weren't being hit as hard with COVID as they were more recently, but their families were. And so trying to help a kid who's who had just lost a parent or who was scared because they weren't in school, they didn't know what was going on, you know, just so many different things were happening. And some days I would be, I'd get off, I was doing telemedicine, I'd hang up for the day and just be like, I I can't even deal with anything right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Or come out of the office and it's like my brain just is mush. Um, So there can definitely be some rough moments, but I, and I say this every time I'm having a difficult day, I go into a room with a six month old and they give me their little toothless grin and I'm like, well, okay. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And, I, and is there any, you know, not that you have to be a, a spokesperson for 
<clears throat> for you know every every you know nurse or nurse practitioner or doctor out there on how to you know ha- handle things but is there anything that you is there anything that you do like proactively to you know knowing that you have a job that is that can be very mentally and emotionally taxing like is there anything that you do to to for your own resilience yeah i'm very very lucky that i work with a great group of people so if i'm having a rough day or if anyone's having a rough day we can talk to each other about it and that's always really helpful i also really try to schedule in time where i'm not necessarily thinking about work so things like the patreon hangouts i always try i like know that that's going to happen and i try to carve that out and and make sure i'm making time for that mm-hmm. meanwhile uh, we're asking you about your job on the thing yeah it's fun that's okay we'll keep we'll uh, now i'll keep that in mind yeah. i'll keep that in yeah, mind yeah, yeah. <laughs> um really but great. ultimately like i love what i do and so i like to talk about it and mm-hmm. nurse practitioners it does get kind of tricky with what's an rn what's an mp what's an md so i always try to to talk about it so that people know what we do Mm-hmm. I think that is like, cause I think, I think that is incredibly important because, you know, I, I don't think if you, if, you know, if I asked a hundred random people in the street, like, you know, I, 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 most people would say a nurse is a nurse and, and not really understand like the level, like that there's levels and that there's, you know, different forms of practice and different people with different who have, you know, taken different uh, levels of education do, do, do certain things. Um, and I think that it is really, cause I know, I knew, I know that there are differences. I, I get muddy on what the differences are, but I think that it's really important for people to know, um, for people to know what those, what those differences, um, are and, and just how, how different people in the healthcare system help in the, in the things that people need when they enter into that system to be taken care of. Uh, I'm uh, I want to change, maybe like shift things a little bit in terms of uh, questions that I have for email. Um, I'm, I'm curious about how, like when, when you're treating a kid who comes into your office, I imagine that as a kid who's like, you know, any, any kid that's under like seven or eight years old, that the treatment or whatever the, the sort of, protocol is for helping that kid probably involves also sort of like treating their family members at the same time, um, mm-hmm. you know, because they're probably going to be responsible for um, administering that, mm-hmm. that treatment, I guess, at home. What, what role does a family member usually play and um, how do you work with the family members to, to ensure that they are doing the right things to, to help these patients? Yeah, so the family is key. Um, so if um, the family doesn't have the tools that they need to help the kid, then we have to address that. Mm-hmm. So almost at every visit, um, we'll ask a set of questions like, um, do you have enough food at home for your child? Mm-hmm. Um, do you have heat? Um, do you have transportation? Kind of these basic needs Um to make sure that those are being met, because if your basic needs aren't being met, how can you expect to care for someone else? Mm-hmm. Um, we're so lucky to have the resources available to us um, to be able to help with these things. Um, so while I'm seeing the kid and I'm prescribing antibiotics or inhalers or whatever it is for the kid, 
the family is just as important. And the family is also with the kid all the time. So if you have a a one-year-old who's just not acting right, listen to the parent because they're going to know, well, something's something's off with my kid. Um, And it's always so important to listen to that as well. It's uh, it's so interesting to think about how important, um, like, like the I think of like the social determinants of health, exactly. and how these like social support systems are so crucial, especially for people like who are experiencing. Uh, I like that acronym ACEs, um, mm-hmm. because you know when you when you put it that way, it makes a lot of sense. If these people don't have the basic fundamental um, needs, if they're not having their basic fundamental needs met, then how are they supposed to take care of their kids? And then you think of all of the, like the sort of down chain effect of like, you know, if this kid can't get better and then what if they end up missing days of school and then they're not getting the education and the, the cycle just continues and continues. And I think it's easy for people who, you know, have had that privileged upbringing to, to forget that there are people who, you know, don't have access to these basic mm. human needs and and that um the the deficit that that sort of puts in that when it when it comes to just you know living a basic healthy life um yeah, yeah it's just a, it's a, an important reminder i think and something that i haven't really thought about in a while so uh, right thanks, and i think the, the pandemic really brought a lot of things to light about um, access to care and um, just how how bad things can get um, because we were you know at the beginning of the pandemic we were kind of scrambling to meet the needs of everyone too um, we've gotten so much better at it as time has gone on but it it's definitely it's definitely something that I think people don't necessarily think about Mm-hmm. And it's so easy to say, well, you know, maybe this parent isn't taking care of their kid or something like that, but there's probably so much else going on that needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so really listening to people and, and trying to figure out what's going on with them can make so much of a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, find, the, I find that super fascinating because I, I have been, um, I spent a lot of time with, uh, uh, with these kids that I used to coach in paddling and, and um, I, I find it really fascinating because I ask myself sometimes like, why do they make those decisions? Like, why do they do those things that, that they do? Because sometimes they seem like, like not like their action that they take in a certain situation doesn't seem appropriate for the situation that they're in. And I start to wonder. And then, you know, as I get to know these kids better and better, I start to realize like, Oh, actually, you know, that thing that he opened up to me about before, I feel like that's influencing him to do this thing this way. And, and, you know, it's really easy to be quick to judge somebody on like why like why are they being irrational in this situation? But you know, as I've started to learn about myself as you know, I've gone to therapy, it's like, well, when I'm being irrational, it's not that there's no reason for me being irrational. There's there's a reason. And, mm-hmm. and you know, it's rooted in past experiences or traumas or things that I've been through. So um it's the same it's hard as to like- remind yourself that like that person is probably been through something that is yeah. causing them to make those types of decisions. So. It's it's like, it's the same as like when you ask like, well, how does a pandemic become a pandemic? It's like, well, there's this like web of connection that's in, you know, mm. invisible to us in this room, but like we're connected now in the 21st century to like every other person on the planet pretty much yeah. in, in like yeah. very few degrees. 
And so when you take any person and you have them be a certain way, behave a certain way, act a certain way, make decisions in whatever capacity, you know, like the reasons behind that are like this, this extremely complex web of influences that are like almost impossible to calculate like how and how much of one influence has an impact on the, on, on the way that like it, it becomes so complex that it, it's quickly starting to melt my brain in this moment, (laughs) you know? And maybe this is a hot take, but you think of like the, the freedom convoy in Canada and the people who are, are protesting. It's like, like it's easy to go. Those people are fucking crazy, but also it's also not hard to go, Holy shit, these people are frustrated and scared and and upset and like, mm-hmm. you know, the last 2 years has been a fucking nightmare for people. So, you know, are their behaviors appropriate? I don't personally think so. <laughs> but Ooh. but like can you understand what leads people to respond yeah. to these certain situations in in this way? Absolutely. And so yeah. if we just take a little bit more time to like be considerate of like what people are going through. I think it would go a long way. Yeah. And right there now. are, and, and social, like so, social determinants of health. Like I was, when I was sitting in the emergency room the other day, it's like there was a bunch of people that came in and they go went to triage and they went, uh, how long? See ya. Like yeah. there's a wait. I'm not going to be here. And it's like, and why don't they have time? Um, I don't know. They had a job, kids, <laughs> family, like Ooh. all, don't want to. I mean, it could be any number of a thousand things why they're not going to wait at the hospital for the next five or six hours. And, and, you know, I don't mean to shit on the staff, but you know, they're, they're kind of like, not, well, it's not our problem if, (laughs) if if he gets really sick and I'm like, I get it. You're just, you know, you're, you know, you're, you're quipping about this person who doesn't want to wait at the emergency room. The amount of people who show up to <laughs> emerge that don't yeah. actually really need to be there yeah, in the sure. first place. It's, but yes, I hear you. It, it just, yeah. I guess, just yeah. like to put a bow on the yeah. on the idea that like there's just so much going on at all times with everybody that like deciding that we understand why people mm-hmm. are the way that they are is like, you know, we're we're like almost certainly <laughs> going to be wrong. Yeah, Mel. Um, uh, I have t- I have two questions that I want to ask you. That's that's kind of like kind of in line with like the two questions that we ask most of our guests on Monday episodes who are who are, are sick. Um, uh, what would you say was what would you say was the hardest moment in your career at working as a nurse practitioner? Good question. Um. I think any time that you're dealing with a family who has recently experienced a loss or um, like a serious diagnosis, I think those moments can be really tough. Um, So I experienced quite a a big loss in my early childhood. Um, And so I understand where that kid's coming from and just kind of what the implications could be for this child. Mm-hmm. So anytime I have to deal with that, it's kind of like, it kind of brings me back to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that can be really difficult. And do what you, would you say? What before would you, you ask, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Said, um, you know, like, do you, do you feel, is that part of what, because you said um, ever since you were a kid, you knew you wanted to work with kids. Does, does your experience with, with loss and the trauma that you've been through, does that play a big role in, in you know how you see yourself performing your job today? 100%. So I try to be what I needed when I was a kid mm-hmm. for these kids that I'm seeing. 
So kids who've dealt with trauma or loss or just, you know, poor experiences, um, I really try to be someone consistent and someone who's going to be there for them. I love that. What would you say is the best experience you've had to date? So anytime that I have a baby smile at me or come a toddler come and give me a hug or a teenager who actually will talk to me, <laughs> I think those are the greatest moments. It's really like every day, no matter how hard it is, no matter how stressed I am, every day has something good in it. And I think that's the best part about working in pediatrics. Well, Melanie, I got to say, um, we are we are so, so grateful to have uh, someone so um, dialed in on what they do and and clearly good at what they do in our lives. And we want to say thank you for for not only being a friend of ours for for so long now, but uh, for taking time out of your schedule to sit down and, and have a conversation with us because this has been a real delight. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, and, and I, I I also, like, it, it really, um, whenever <clears throat> nurses and doctors and really anybody in the healthcare sphere likes our podcast, it, like, makes me think, like, God damn, guys, we're doing something right because people, either that or they're all crazy. Because you know, people who know a thing or two think that what we're doing is interesting. And like you know, when when you have somebody like you know, I'm gonna this is this is know. what this is what Taylor does. He goes to the ER and he just says this. No, no, he, he, he shows no, up. The, hey guys, what's up? But here's no, my whoop strap uh, no, data. All the, by the way, I have a podcast, and like you guys, I know a bunch of guys like you. No. They like it. Okay, <laughs> they like it a lot. They think it's no, great. No. I'm I'm trying to. So so how long do I have to wait? I'm pumping up <laughs> Melanie here because I'm I'm saying, you know, somebody of Mel's intellect and and, and passion and yeah. care, you know, can uh, look past the bro science. Likes, <laughs> yeah, can look past the bro science and 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 like the podcast and and that means a lot to me. Yeah. Is what I'm there have to say. been many times where I've listened and been like, well, not quite. <laughs> no doubt. No, no doubt. No. Well, the best plot twist would be if you were Louise. <laughs> oh my God, that would be the best I promise I'm not Louise. <laughs> but what you guys do is really focus on the human. And so that's yeah. really what I appreciate and what I think more medical professionals should focus on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Mel. This has been really fun. And we'll uh, we'll do a live show in Salem. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Good idea. Yeah. Thing. <laughs> yeah. I just say I wanted to say that on the podcast. Yeah, we'll make it witch. Right. We'll make it, it witch theme. There's got to be some sort of witch theme. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's got to be a spooky one. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody in Salem is probably super stoked about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just do it in October. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That'll fit. Thanks, Mel. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.